You're listening to Campus Review Radio. UWA is announcing, or just last night has announced, the Public Policy Institute. So um, you've built it as a world-class research and expertise centre with decision makers and community leaders. Um, so run us through the, the thought process kind of from the inception of this project. Okay, so um, one of the um, concerns I've had um, during the initial part of the term of my vice-chancellorship was the um, lack of any regional uh, think tank and um, policy institute to take account of the um, continuing concerns around developing an evidence-based approach to the um, informing good policy and generating good policy that is underpinned by strong research and can lead to innovation and particularly in the context of the Indo-Pacific, the shifting geopolitical focus of the world and our influence um, in Western Australia and the importance of our Indian Ocean neighbours and that increasing. And so uh, one of the things that we've been working on for the last year and building on decades of initiatives um, is partnering with government, government, business, industry and community organisations to de- develop and deliver that high quality, independent, impartial, responsive and practical evidence-based approach to policy generation and policy implementation. And importantly for us, this is also bringing together the work that we currently have housed within our Perth US Asia Centre, which has is extremely high profile um, in Indonesia, India, across Southeast Asia, and of course in the US, linking it with our affiliation with the Australia India Institute mm-hmm. and the work that we're doing with the um, Achichi, our Indonesian Studies Centre, Australian Studies, we're linking again with the Menzies Institute and King's College. And of course, we have the first Confucius Institute in Australia on our campus. But building on that and to create something that's more than the sum of the parts and linking it actually to what we believe now is you know our position as the fulcrum at the fulcrum point of what's happening in the ASEAN region and providing not only uh, you know the, the policy guidance advice in the region but also back to the nation and into the state so essentially being a shop front for industry and government interaction with the university and providing thought leadership Mm-hmm. in this in this particular zone yeah. it was something that's missing where well, there's a lot that's been going on over the decades here piecemeal but having this all under one umbrella of the uwa public policy institute is actually i think going to be a really attractive venture mm. so you mentioned uh, offer thought leadership on issues and provide focused reports on social and economic indicators what is, what are some of the specific issues that you think need addressing So, of course, what we're doing, I mean, interestingly, this week we've got the World University Network on campus, Worldwide University Network, 23 world-class universities from across all continents on campus this week with all of the presidents here in Western Australia and the senior leaders and the full think tanks that we're working on this week include, uh, for example, public health, and that's not just around Um, mental health aging it's about the more general um, concerns around pandemics it's there's a a think tank on 
climate change, but linking that to food security and issues of water. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, the work that's going on around understanding culture. So this is thinking about how we can bring forward and digitalize culture and heritage and understand ways. That, so this is, again, geopolitical issues and economic issues, thinking about big data in that context and then looking at how higher education and research can continue to contribute to the economy in the substantial way that it does and that there are four issues but you know if you drill down into them of course it addresses things like agriculture energy water mm-hmm. food um and um all of those being important but you know one of one of the outcomes of this will be on friday where all the 23 presidents and including some of our invited speakers will spend the whole day together working on a policy roundtable and to work and out of that we're looking at some uh, policy generation that will be informed by the sustainable development goals but be specific to the region. You just you mentioned water. I, I read recently that the WA state government awarded UWA around 3.75 million to establish a marine energy research hub, um, driving offshore research and innovation. Is this something that will be folded into the institute part of that work? It is. So, so you're referring to the Wave Energy yes. Research Centre that's at Albany. And of course, that links to what we have on campus, which is the world-class ocean, Indian Ocean Marine Facility which is also supported by CSIRO. We have Woodside and we have Rio involved in that initiative, as well as CSIRO, the Department of Fisheries and AIMS. Now that's a classic example really of what I'm talking about here, the bringing together of government, industry, researchers and um, policy uh, initiatives that will really lead to some great outcomes in terms of, for example, wave energy. Mm-hmm. And the University of Alberta is here this week, and we've already started to talk to them about the potential for a $75 million initiative around energy and that link to wave energy. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we, you know, when we invest in areas like this, and then we start to develop policy that has international reach and significance, it's very attractive for partners And what we do know is that we have to start thinking about collaboration at international scale, because that's where the big wins are going to be in the future when we look at, um, you know, the the major impact of of research and innovation that's undertaken across the, the different continents. It's really important that we don't duplicate effort, that we're attempting to address some of these global challenges together. Mm hmm. You were one of six vice chancellors from the G08 recently who were invited to China uh, to a meeting of 100 international university leaders um, in the celebrations. I think it was the 20, 120th anniversary of Peking Uni. It was, that's um, right. What yes. were some of the, the main takeaways for Aussie unis or for the G08? So it was a, a really um, fascinating trip this time. So several things. Of course, we were part of the PKU 120th and um, there was a re, I think, a reassertion of the importance of the China-Australia relationships uh, through education, the people-to-people relationships, which came across very strongly. The theme of that two-day roundtable discussion across all of the presidents was really around how universities um, can continue to bring forward the culture and heritage of different nations, um, and of different and different um, 
cultures within nations, but at the same time to ensure that we maintain the collaboration and the dialogue. So that was a particularly useful event for us to really think about the Australia-China relations that we have that are generated through the higher education um, institutions that work together across the GOA, of which you're you're very aware, Connor, that it's a substantial and deep partnerships that we have. Mm-hmm. We took the opportunity, uh, Ian Jacobs and I, to meet with the MOE and the China Scholarships Council and to talk with Jan Adams about our relationships. I felt, and I think Ian would agree, that they were still very warm, that we still understand the benefits economic benefits, but the double bottom line, as we call it, the economic and social benefits that we have from our relationships with China and the impact that that has on the region. So mm-hmm. I think we came away away feeling heartened uh, that, that those relationships actually at people to people level are maintaining very strong connections and are building. And that's despite some of the the differences that we see happening across some of the social media that's that's coming out in China and and how that's picked up in the Australian uh, popular media as well. Mm-hmm. So you've been a permanent VC for I think a little over a year now. How do you feel about when you reflect on your first year in charge? How do you feel about it? It's a great question, Connor, because you know I've I've only been in Australia four years. Mm-hmm. I watch with interest when I look back um, at my UK colleagues with what they're dealing with at the moment in terms of um, some of the public scrutiny that universities are under. And this is not just in regard to issues of trust. We all know that public sector institutions are really uh, facing some challenges in terms of their uh, public trust and, and that declining. But particularly around universities, really having to make sure that they continue to uh, share the important messages around their relevance, uh, the relevance into the future with not just uh, the industry 4.0 and challenges to the future of work, but the importance of what we're doing in social technological transformation, supporting societies. That's just as as important for us here in Australia. And I find that um, part of my role is, of course, not simply not broadcasting what we do it's very easy to to broadcast the importance of our research but actually really helping people to understand the difference that we're making day to day in improving lives in responding to some of the sustainable development goals in responding to what our local needs are as well as supporting the national agenda in terms of its our economic viability and the um, development of our research and, and innovation industry. That, so, so focusing on that translational message of relevance is something that I feel is critical. And speaking to the students, um, ensuring that the students' voice is heard, because you know they're, the, they're, the, they're our future, they are the people that are going to that, that address these challenges and work with industry in ways in the future that we, we can't even imagine mm-hmm. that they're going to have to engage with. So working with students, working with our industry partners around upskilling their existing workforce, sharing um, our, our ideas and, and solving problems together. So I think one of the critical issues for a vice chancellor these days is maintaining the balance between the internal and external focus. So, you know, we are both a social enterprise and and we have to have a sustainable business model. Mm. 
So what is the top of the agenda for your second year in charge? This year is very exciting because we're at, we've just launched the consultation on our strategy for 2030. So we're developing our new decadal vision. And there are five key themes that we've been working on for that decadal vision. And we've just launched the initiative around that. And we're having every member of staff involved. We've got student involvement. We've invited industry to join with us on this and to develop a vision that will be launched at the end of this year and early next year, which signals what the university will be known for over the next decade. Hmm. That's great. Um, just, I guess, to wrap up, I mean, you've focused, you know, our conversation has been a lot about international issues. You're from the UK. A lot of your career is spent there and now you've spent time in Australia. What are the lessons or how important is educational exchange on a student level and, uh, and on an administrative level uh, to yes. society? Yeah, I, I can't underestimate the impact of that international expertise, experience and exchange. So one of the things that, of course, the International Student Barometer tells us globally is the value add that students find from having that study abroad experience or the opportunity to undertake a, a degree programme overseas or to have the opportunity to do an internship or some work integrated learning in an international partner university or in industry overseas. And that's, that's um, of course, growing in importance because one of the things that we know for our graduates is that they're going to need to have that internationalization, that international experience in order for them to secure future employment. Importantly, Connor, for research intensive universities, it's not just about them securing employment at the end of their uh, when they graduate it's actually about them having an opportunity to generate jobs mm -hmm. and having international awareness and an international touch point really supports that agenda for me I can't I can't talk highly enough about the opportunities I've had for working overseas I've spent time in Germany I've spent time in America worked in different countries and I think you know that without that it would I wouldn't be able to bring the perspective that I have to the vice chancellor's position in Australia. And I think most vice chancellors would say the same thing in administration, the opportunity to even shadow other vice chancellors and other administrators, administrators in government in other countries is critical. Dawn Freshwater, thanks very much for joining Campus Review.